taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Hey, you can go ahead and find your seats at all of our campuses right now. While you're finding your seat, why don't you turn around and give somebody a Journey Church high five. Maybe give them a hug if you, if you know them like that. Let them know you are excited to see them in church this morning. Hey, I want to thank you so much for joining us here at Journey Church. Uh, my name is Jordan. I have the honor over the next few moments of speaking with you. Uh, again, I want to reiterate, if you are joining us today at any of our campuses, for your first or your second time, uh, man, it is our honor and privilege to have you with us in church. I don't know uh, if maybe your friend bribed you, but we believe bribing is a spiritual gift at Journey Church. And so if that's how you got here, you know, more power to your friend. And so make sure they actually buy you the lunch that they said they were going to. But however you got here, uh, man, we're just, we're grateful that you're here. And so if you would stop at one of our desks in the lobby, we want to give you a gift. Again, it's just our way of saying thanks for being with us in church. We're going to have a good time in church. Y'all ready for church this morning? Listen, I don't know about you, but it was an awesome experience Wednesday night if you were at our 10-year anniversary service. Yeah, we can clap about that, but it was, it was cool. Some of my favorite moments from the night are when the band stops singing and everybody just sings, especially at the very end of the night. And I'll tell you, the words that have stuck with me uh, that they've not left uh, my brain since that night is, is Steve kind of ended the night and said, hey, how about this? How about you and I meet back here again in 10 years? And we talk about what God has done over the next 10 years. Like that just has not left me. And so we want to get right back into it here at Journey Church. I want to let you know that we're going to be reading from the Bible. If you're newer to church or uh, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, uh, maybe you've heard of the Bible, maybe you know the song, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, right? Maybe that's the extent of what you know. Uh, I'm going to try to make it really simple, but here's what we believe about the Bible, uh, that it is not just words written on paper, uh, but it has the ability to completely change your life. I can tell you it's done from personal experience that in my life, uh, and my prayer has been this week that even though uh, I'm going to be speaking, uh, that you're going to hear God speaking to you this morning. In fact, I'll tell you, people come up to us, Steve and uh, myself, when I get the chance to speak, and they'll say, you know, did you know, they'll kind of whisper it, like, did you know what was going on in my life because you were talking about this? It's weird. You were talking about that exact thing. And listen, we're not stalkers, right? Like, we don't know what's going on in your life. That's God speaking to you through our words. And so what I believe is over the next few moments that he's going to do just that. And, and so I'm glad to be with you. I want to let you know we are starting a brand new message series called Satan Roasts the Church. Uh, we thought it was fitting for Journey Church to start off our, 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 you know, our, our second decade uh, with a series that had Satan in the title, right? Because that's Journey Church. And so uh, kind of what we, we, we talked about as we move into the rest of 2018, uh, really, uh, we wanted to kind of take a look at where we want to take our church. And uh, somehow uh, kind of this idea came about, we were talking about it in the office, uh, how ridiculous the church kind of is these days. Like when you read the Old Testament or, and really into the New Testament specifically, you watch uh, what these men and women did, some of the people that we're going to read their words in just a moment, and you look at them, and then you look at today's church, and you go, man, like there is, there's a difference, right? Like, like, like Satan, he could probably have a lot of legitimate reasons to laugh at the church today. In fact, I would argue he probably is. 
Now, he doesn't want you to know what he's laughing about because if you knew, maybe you would change it then, right? It's like when you walk around all day uh, and your flies down and your best friend don't want to tell you because they want everybody to see that and laugh at you. Uh, it's kind of like that. And so he doesn't want you to see the things that we do as a church that are ridiculous. But sometimes I think Satan looks at the church and he goes, like, really? Like, you, do you think what you're doing right now is making a difference? Like, like, like you think that that matters? Let me tell you, the church should be the most powerful, ridiculous, underground, influential group of people that has existed. But I'll tell you this, by and large, I think the church is a joke for the most part. Like, like there is a lot of things that we claim to have and we claim to know, but when it comes down to it, we do a lot of kind of ridiculous things. And, and so I've titled today's message, I Love Religion, Signed Satan. I love religion. Because if you don't know this, Satan loves religion. And I'm going to read in just a moment some words of Jesus that are going to prove what I'm going to say here. But here's how I'll define religion. Religion is doing the right thing for the wrong reason. You see, here's where we get kind of trapped up. And this is, I think, maybe Satan's oldest trick in the book. It's not to get you to think that you need to do all of these wrong things. Instead, it's to convince you that you need to do the right things, but absolutely has nothing to do with making sure you're doing it for the right reason. And I'll tell you what, Jesus, Jesus has words about religion. We're going to read in a second in Matthew 23 if you want to open your Bibles or if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and have them pull it up on the screens at all of our campuses right now. You can actually get the Bible right on your phone. Uh, and in fact, I have an iPad in front of me here with notes. You'll be able to follow along if you follow the instructions on the screen. You'll be able to look at all the notes I have. And so if you're a visual person, you can kind of track along with us this morning. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and have them leave that up there for a second. We're going to read some words from Jesus, uh, but because Jesus, he feels very different about religion. We're going to be reading in Matthew 23, starting in verse 13. Uh, and, and I'm not making this up. If you don't read the Bible all that often, you're probably going to like this uh, because Jesus sounds like he's from Philly, right? Like he's straightforward. He does not beat around the bush. He's very honest. Uh, and so pick up with me if you would. In verse 13, Jesus says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor do you let those enter who are trying to. Verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. He continues, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In fact, you must be blind because you've cleaned the outside of the cup, but the inside is still dirty. Can I just tell you, I have a water filtration system at my house. I've learned uh, over the past few years of living there. I did not know it was there before. Uh, and what happens is if you don't put this special salt or whatever it is in the water softener, your dishwasher stops working, right? Like everything looks clean until you try to drink something. And then all of a sudden you get the smoothie from last week in your orange juice and you're like, something's wrong, right? Can I just tell you, cups that are clean on the outside are not useful. He goes on, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. And man, on the inside, you are full of bones 
of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus, right? Like that's good, that's good preaching right there. If I preach like that, I think we'd maybe have less people in church next week, right? Like Jesus, Jesus is honest. And Jesus, he does not care so much for religion. But can I just tell you, Satan, man, he loves it. He cannot get, he cannot get enough of it. I want to give you three reasons this morning why Satan loves religion. First one is this. Satan loves religion because it's easy. It's easy. I'll put it this way. When's the last time you ran into somebody that you know on the street or, you know, in the grocery store or in a hallway or whatever the case might have been, and they said, hey, man, it's so good to see you. How you doing? And you said, man, I am clinically depressed, and I yell at my kids every night because I'm so unhappy. How are you doing? Never. You've never done that. Why? Because it's easier to just go, I'm doing good, man. The Eagles are going to be three and two today. Mumble, 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 walk away. Like we prefer, we prefer to live life like this. And I'll say, I think we don't really want to think about our lives too much for the most part, because if we were to really take a look at ourselves and be honest with ourselves, I don't know that we would like what we find. In fact, I think maybe we would initially be more depressed if we were honest about our insecurities or the things that drive us or come on, the things that win our attention and our time, the motives behind our actions, the thoughts that we have that nobody ever knows about. If we had to face those things, it'd be a lot more difficult. And what religion promises and what religion provides for us that's appealing is this life where everything just looks Everything looks good. I'll put it this way. When I was in college, I had a buddy uh, who, who, you know, we came in the same year and, you know, he and I were, had similar builds. Uh, and about halfway through sophomore year, uh, I'm not trying to be weird, but he like got ripped. And I was like, whatever he's doing, I need to do that because I want to look like him. And so uh, it just so happened halfway through sophomore year, our class schedules changed and his gym time ended up being the time that I always went to the gym. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to see what he does. I'm going to do that same thing and I'm going to look like him, right? And so I'm kind of watching him, you know, I'm on the dumbbells. I'm looking through the mirrors, right? Because gyms always have mirrors because it's weird if you're watching people. And so I'm watching him and he's doing the rowing machine and I'm like, all right, I'm set, right? As soon as he gets off that rowing machine, I'm going to leave enough time so it's not weird. And then I'm going to go over to that row machine. I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to copy his workout. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's a flawless plan, right? So I go over to the row machine and I get myself ready because I'm like, man, this is like, I, I'm going to get this, right? Like I'm getting myself all, all pumped up. You know, I'm listening to, you know, in my headphones, you know, I've got, you know, music. That's you know, the bass, right? Like everything as loud as it possibly can. I get ready. I pull the bar back so fast that I actually bruise my chest because it hits me, and I'm like, what is going on? It's already working. I'm jacked, right? And I look down, and he's doing 30 pounds on the rowing machine. I'm like, all right, so he's got this secret. This is it, right? Like, he's doing low weight, high rep, intense, like, workouts. That's how he's getting all shredded up, right? So I'm like, okay, let me watch him. So I'm watching him. Nah, he's doing, like, five or six reps. Gives himself a break. He's getting water. He's talking with people. He's doing 25, 35 pounds. And I was like, it must just be genetics then, right? Like, something is wrong here. And so I talked to my buddy. He said, no, he started taking creatine. And I was like, where did he get it? Religion is a lot like creatine. 
It adds water weight. It makes you look nice on the outside. Everybody sees it. But when push comes to shove, you can't do nothing of substance because you ain't got no strength. It's not real. Satan loves it because it's easy. Can I tell you, Satan would prefer that you not talk up, talk about how messed up, being afraid that you're not good enough. He would prefer you not talk about your issues, that you think eventually they're just going to go away. He doesn't want you to face reality. And if we're honest, most of us, we prefer to live that way too. And in fact, sometimes it doesn't even start off like this. Sometimes you start off meeting Jesus and it's a powerful encounter and he's working in your life and slowly but surely you become a religious person. And I'm going to tell you in just a few moments how you can tell you're a religious person. But can I just tell you, Satan loves it. It doesn't require you to dig deep at all. In fact, Jesus says that type of, of religion, that type of following me, it's hypocritical. He used the word hypocrite about seven different times. And so I looked into it. Uh, hypocrite, back in the day, it's a Latin word. That's where it started. That's how old it is. It referred to actors. A hypocrite was an actor. And back in those days, you know, they would have giant coliseums where they would act out plays and they would bring masks uh, because they didn't have, you know, all the stuff that we have now to sort of make up their character. And so they would put the mask on and that's who they would be. And at the end of the play, they would take their mask off and they would go home. And Jesus says, this is what you are. You put a mask on, you pretend like everything is okay, you pretend like you've got it all together, but little do you know, you're rotting on the inside. And what I love about this passage is if you don't know anything about the Bible, when he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, uh, he, he could also maybe replace that to, you know, common language for us and say, woe to you, priests and pastors. That, that, that's who he's talking to. He's not talking to people who sin. He's not talking to people who hang out at the bar. He's not talking to people who, 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 who are sleeping around. He's talking to people who are in church. And he says, you're worse because you think you've got it all figured out, but you are, you are so far gone. You don't know this. You're beautiful on the outside. You are rotting on the inside. It's not real. I'll call it this. It's the values on the outside, virus on the inside kind of life. And Satan loves it. He is cheering you on, right? He's got the I heart religion t-shirt on and the foam finger. And he's saying, keep thinking that that's going to do something for you. Keep thinking that that checking off your boxes is going to do something for you. Keep thinking that living that type of religion is going to do something for you. Because guess what? He knows it's easy and it's not going to do nothing for you. I read to you what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. And you can see the difference here. Just seven chapters earlier, Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And what can you give in exchange for your soul? In other words, he's saying, you guys believe that you can rack up this tally of good stuff so that it will pay off all the bad stuff that you do, and you don't understand there is not enough good stuff in the world to earn back your soul. Paul says in Romans 6, says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. 
He says it again in a couple chapters down. He says, you've become slaves to God. Do you see the difference in the picture here? These religious leaders, they would dress themselves up. They would make sure that they look good on the outside. They would make sure everybody knew what they did, right? They would come in. I don't know if y'all know this. I just want to let you know. I read my Bible for 45 minutes this morning. I'm just saying, blessed be God, holy. Like they want to make sure everybody, everybody knows. And he says, you know what it actually looks like to follow Jesus? You're going to look like a slave to God, right? You're going to be gritty. You're going to be strong. You're going to be dirty. You're going to be in the trenches. It's going to take hard work. You're going to have substance underneath the surface. There's a difference. And religion is easier. I think when you realize what it actually takes to follow Christ, and my prayer today has been that it would wake some of us up. For those of us who come in, and I'm going to get really practical in just a moment so that you can run a test and see if it applies to you. But for those of us who come into this place and we try to pretend like religion is enough to follow Jesus, religion is enough to be a part of this church, can I just tell you, it's going to seem overwhelming to you when I tell you what it actually takes to follow Jesus. But I'll tell you, it's not nearly as heavy as the burden of carrying around for the entirety of your life, no fulfillment, and still making sure you follow the rules. It does not even compare to that weight. Some of us, we walk into church with this huge burden on our shoulders, and Jesus, he wants to take it off, and you say, no, 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 I got this. I got this, because if you take this, then I'm gonna have to give you everything. So I would rather do it this way. Religion is easier. But for those of us who who wanna do it the hard way, I would encourage you to do this. Every morning, wake up and say these words. I am a sinner in need of a savior. Because here's why religion is easy. It doesn't make you admit that. And if you don't admit that, and if you don't need a savior, then your life is your own. And then you get to do whatever you want with your life. And that's great and you can live that way. But I'm just here to tell you, you are not a follower of Christ. You might know God. You might know Jesus. You might know a lot about him. But you are not following him. Satan loves it. Second reason I think he loves religion is because it's empty. It's easy, and man, is it empty. Here's how I know it's empty. In Matthew 23, verse 13, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of the door of heaven in people's faces. You don't enter, and you won't let anybody else enter who's trying to. Here's how I know religion is empty, because misery loves company. You see, those of us who live like this, We feel the need to get other people involved with our hypocrisy because deep down we know we're not fulfilled, but we put on this act and we put on the act for long enough that we need to keep it going. Here's how you can tell somebody's really empty on the inside. And this is what religion does to us. It gives you no real satisfaction. And actually what happens is we are worse off than people who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me explain why. I believe every human was created with a void inside of their life that was to be filled by God and God alone, the creator of the heavens and the universe, the author of your soul. And we roam about this earth trying to fill that void. But for those of us who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, we go about filling any way we can that void in our life. And we're not ashamed of it because why wouldn't we? Because we have to, because we've been created with that void in our life. And so we sin in the, those of us who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and feel we owe something to our goodness we have to do our sinning in secret we gotta make sure nobody knows about it because we're supposed to have it all together that's what happens when paul says in ephesians 2 we're dead in our sins that's what it looks like to be dead in your sins and i think what happens is what i'll call satan's 
cycle of shame. And I'm going to put it on the screens and I want to read it with you. Uh, don't raise your hand, obviously, but maybe you relate to some of these steps. Just begin to maybe recognize this pattern in your life. Step one, do the right thing for the wrong reason. Step number two, feel superior. I'm better than you. Step number three, make a mistake trying to feel fulfilled. Step number four, feel guilty, but make sure you keep it a secret. Number five, boast about all the rules that you you can follow. And then step number six, judge people who do worse things than you. Well, at least I'm not as bad as as so-and-so. And what happens is this cycle, it's deadly. It will continue to repeat itself and repeat itself. And like I said a second ago, misery loves company. And so what we'll do is when people come inside the church, we'll try to convince them that you can be happy like us if you do what we do. And what we do is we follow the rules without joy, without peace, without contentment, without sacrifice. We do exactly what's required, nothing more, nothing less. And so that's the test this morning. If you would ask yourself, am I a religious person? My question for you would be this. And be honest with yourself. Do I do exactly what's required? Nothing more, nothing less. Because I'll tell you, if you do, if you're a type of person that, you know, tell me exactly what I need to do. I don't, my daughter is like this with chores, right? What is the minimum I need to do in order to get those M&M's? Every single chore I give her. And then after that, can I have M&M's? No, you have one more chore. Okay, can you make me a list? Because I need to see all the things I need to do before I get M&M's because I'm not doing a thing more. I know you're going to think of more, Dad. I want to know exactly what I need to do, right? Some of us follow Jesus like this. And can I just tell you, if you get to a point like that, you are not following Jesus anymore. You are following the rule book. Following Jesus looks different. I can tell you, I felt convicted of this about a year ago. There's a black and white that Steve preached in November 2017. I would encourage you, uh, go back, look it up on Vimeo live stream, watch it, watch it again, watch it again, watch it again. He, 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 he's really honest with our church and he says, I can feel our church start to drift in the wrong direction. And he says, you know, it's like a ship. When this ship gets big enough, eventually we're not going to be able to turn it around anymore. So I want to stop us. I want to stop us here. And he preached out of the Old Testament where the Israelites, they were promised the presence of God as they traveled through the wilderness with one requirement. And that requirement was this, that there always be a sacrifice on the altar, that the sacrifice must continue and the fire of God would be there so long as there was a sacrifice and God would provide the fire, but we would provide the sacrifice. And he says, get the old ashes off of, uh, of the altar because it will put out the fire. I'm trying to put a new fire in, but if you keep those old ashes, in other words, if you try to keep living Christ based off of the sacrifice and the passion that you had in the past, eventually it's going to put out what God wants to do in the future. Why? Because it's a continual sacrifice. And listen, I can just tell you at that point in my life, I, I, I could feel, uh, it felt like Plymouth meeting, the campus I was at was, was kind of at a standstill. There were some things personally, it felt like it was at a standstill. And I can remember, I can remember feeling so hopeless and praying and saying, God, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I, and I felt like that night as Steve was preaching, I felt God say, you're right. I'm doing everything you're supposed to do and not a thing more. I was reminded of what it looked like when I first met Jesus. Man, I remember thinking, God, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Because I didn't used to be like this. 
I used to be selfish. Everything was about me. I hurt people around me. I made mistakes. I carried around shame. I had no confidence. I was insecure. And now I'm different. And so you know what? You can have whatever you want. You want my money? Here's my money. You want my time? Here's my time. Everything that I have is yours. And can I tell you, that is the difference between a relationship with Christ and religion. Because religion says, what exactly do I need to do in order to make sure I get into heaven? What is exactly the things that I need to do? And a relationship with Christ goes, God, I don't even get the chance to talk to you. I shouldn't. And so whatever you want from me, you have. In fact, I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to look for more things to give you. I'm going to find a way to give more money. I'm going to find a way to give more time. I'm going to be there every single Sunday. Why? Because somebody's going to meet Jesus there. And I remember what it looked like to meet Jesus in my life. Can I tell you, that is the difference between a religion and a relationship. And can I just tell you, Satan doesn't want you to understand this. He wants you to keep checking off your boxes. He wants to make sure you only come to church on the weeks that you serve, right? He wants to make sure that you put in at least one block out date in Planet Center every month because you got to make sure you have me time, right? He wants to make sure you don't understand tithing so that you continue to struggle financially. He doesn't want you to understand this. He loves religion because it's empty. And what happens is instead of pointing people to Christ, we lead them to believe that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And what happens is we actually make it harder for people to encounter Christ. Can I just tell you why? Because in the church, enough people become religious like this, the church becomes a drama, gossip, strife, slandering hub center of people. It does not do what it was called to do, and Satan loves it. This is what the Pharisees did. There's 400 years between the last prophet that God sends and when Jesus shows up on the earth. And during those 400 years, the Pharisees make a mess of the church. It's all about policy, polity, politics, drama, money, power. And it doesn't do the very thing that it was set out to do, which is tell people about the goodness of God so long as there's breath in your lungs. And my fear for our church is we would get so secure that we would begin to slip into this, where we would become people with religious spirits, where we quench what God wants to do because we're all worried about making sure that we look good on the outside. I think maybe this is why some of us never bring people to church. Because what we have to offer people, it's the joy of the Lord. I just tell you, there's no joy in religion. There's just... There's no joy in religion. It's empty. It's making sure that I look, listen, listen to the words of Jesus, man. He says, you are, you are like cups that are dirty on the inside and washed on the outside. And listen, religion is in, is in every church. Don't get me wrong. There's religion in Journey Church. You'll find it. There's religion in the Lutheran church. But can I just tell you, for us specifically in Philadelphia, maybe some of us grew up inside of this system. And can I just tell you, maybe there's not a better example of someone who who kind of represents this group of people who they're all worried about what they look like on the outside, right? Because right in Philadelphia, it hits home. If you've seen that movie Spotlight or if you know any of the information, right? There's a bunch of people, a group of people, these priests that will claim to be holy. They'll do all of the sacrimonial things they need to do on Sundays. They'll make sure that they look good. But behind closed doors, they are doing things to, to, to little children that they ought not to be doing evil things and then they're being promoted so that they can't be arrested. Can I just tell you, this infects, this infects our area. 
And some of us, it's not necessarily our fault. We've just grown up around it. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I just got to make sure I do everything on my list. I got to make sure I cross off all of my things. But our heart, our heart is nowhere near Christ. And what I'm afraid is that for some of us, we've never experienced that. My fear is that you don't know the joy that comes from following Jesus. My fear is that you don't know what it looks like to be so broken by your sin and to come to grips with the fact that you need a savior. And when you understand that, all of a sudden, there's nothing off limits for him. And that is a church that scares the crap out of Satan. That it, listen, the church should be capable of so much more than it is. Satan loves it because religion's empty. And finally, he loves it because it's exhausting. Religion is exhausting. It's like, trying to run your, it's like trying to run your engine with the wrong fuel. When I was a kid, uh, and, and maybe a little bit still to this day, I don't know a whole lot about engines. I know, that's hard to believe, right? I was a nerd, and so I knew math added up on paper. I had no idea what it did. And some of you, you took things apart, and you understand how mechanisms work, and I don't even know the words to say because I know so little about it, right? And so when I was a kid, I was told I need to mow the lawn, uh, and, and at one point, I was told you need to change the oil, right? And so for me, oil, gas, kind of the same thing. And so I didn't notice there was two spots, so I poured a whole mess of oil where the gas goes, and I'll just tell you, you can't mow the grass for very long with the wrong fuel. It's the same with following Jesus. You try to do this with the wrong fuel, you're not going to be able to do it. In fact, it doesn't surprise us as a staff here at the church when we watch people walk away from what God is doing when they try to live like this. Because if we're honest, if we were trying to do this from the wrong fuel, we will walk away too. This is the hardest most worthwhile thing that you can do with your life while you're here. Let me tell you some of the things I think maybe we try to fuel this, this do goodness from. Some of us, we try, to, we try to fuel it from the approval of others. We are all too concerned with what people think about us. But can I just tell you, eventually there will come a day when you don't get approved for the thing you ought to get approved for, you think you should, or eventually you will let someone down enough times that eventually you give up on this. Some of us, we do our, 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 our list, our, our good things for the approval of ourselves because we like being better than other people. I played cornhole recently at a party and, you know, I, I don't want to boast, but I was incredible and dominated everyone. And so th- there is someone at our church here that played with me and I won, right? But as I left... Although I love being a champion, as I left, I thought, I think I might like this a little bit too much because it's not just that I beat you. I like that I'm better than you. And some of us, we live like, like, life like this. We like that we are better than somebody else. We get our value from that. But can I just tell you, if you try to fuel doing all these good things, coming to church, doing what you're supposed to do, based off of that, eventually it will run out. Why? Because nobody knows you better than you know you, and you know you are not that good. Some of us, we try to fuel it because of our upbringing. This is just the way that I was raised. My family is Lutheran. 
My family is Methodist. My family is Catholic. My family is Buddhist, right? And you do what you're supposed to do because you feel like you owe some honor to your family. And that's great. But I'll tell you, eventually that will run out because the desire inside of you to fill that void is stronger than any type of commitment you feel to your family heritage, or at least you abandon the belief in it. And I think that's where we find a lot of people in our area. You grew up being told, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And just like any of us would, you walked away from it because it's easy, because it's empty, and because it's exhausting. And I'm here to tell you the good news is that is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm here to tell you that following God is so much more difficult. It's so much more pain-filled. There's sacrifice around every corner, but there's joy and there's peace. And when everything's moving around you, there's something that never moves. We just sang about it. It's a firm foundation. Some of y'all hearing us sing that words, and you don't even know what that means. You can't even comprehend. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a heart and soul type of thing. It's not a check off your box thing. If it's a check off your box thing, I would tell you, just walk away from it. Because eventually, it will leave you empty enough that you will end up, I think, even worse than if you just walked away from it now. But man, for those of us who want to do the hard, difficult, worthwhile work while we're here, I tell you, there is nothing more joy-filling than knowing you are doing what you have been put here to do. There's, not, there's nothing like it. There's no amount of money that can buy you that feeling. There's nothing. And for those of you who came in here, maybe if you're honest, you would say, I grew up religious, and maybe I'm a religious person, or I try to be a religious person, but if I'm honest, I knew that doesn't work anyways. I just didn't know there was a better way. I'm here to tell you. The Bible paints a really clear picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it takes one step. As you admit, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Even at my best, I am still nothing compared to a good and a perfect God. If I'm honest, the things that I've thought, the things I've done that I hope nobody ever finds out about, the secrets that I keep, the pain that I've caused... If I'm honest, I know that I am jacked up, but I'm in need of a Savior. And I'm here to tell you that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is there is a Savior. That Jesus Christ, He came to this earth some 2,000 years ago, and He walked among this earth just like a regular, ordinary person, except He was no ordinary person. He was fully man and fully God. He never made a mistake in the 33 years he was alive. You and I both know, given a thousand lifetimes, we could never do that. His 12 best friends at the end of his life have nothing bad to say about him. His family has nothing bad to say about him. You find me somebody whose 12 best friends who spent all their time with him and their family have nothing to say bad about him. There is no one. And it says that that it was an underground movement, that they couldn't find Jesus. That if you know the story, Judas, who was one of his closest friends, he betrays him. And the reason that he betrayed him is because they couldn't find Jesus when the crowds had left because Jesus snuck away to a city just outside of the city called Bethany. It was underground. He couldn't be caught. And the Bible says he allows himself to be captured. He's captured by priests and pastors who are so so hypocritical that they cannot stand the very sight of Jesus. That they plot to kill him. 
They make up false accusations. He's taken to court. He's taken on trial. Even the judge at the trial says, I find nothing wrong with him. And it says that yet still the crowds, they shout louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And finally, it says that the judge, he brings a bowl of water and he stands in front of them and he washes his hands and he says, this man's blood is not on me. It says that Jesus, that he's marched to his death. He carries a large cross. It's weird, 2,000 people were crucified in those times. We only talk about one. He split time in half, for goodness sake. It says at the end of his life, he climbs up on that cross. And it says that he, he says these last words before he dies. He says, it is finished. It is finished. It says he breathes his last in that moment, the temple, it splits in two. The entrance to the temple splits in two. It says that people, that they rise out of their grave and they start walking around the city, dead people. And it says that the Roman guards around him, they say, holy crap. That's in the Greek. Holy crap. That was God. And they bury him. They can't. They can't risk this revolt rising up. They know what will happen if this man, Jesus, is spotted after being killed so publicly. They put him in a grave. It says that they put as many of the trained soldiers as they can at that time in front of the grave so that nobody can take his body. They're afraid his disciples are going to come and take his body, which is funny because his disciples all abandoned him just three days ago. And so I don't know if they're willing to go and risk their lives to take this body, but apparently they're not taking any chances. It says three days later, all the guards are passed out on the ground the big two-ton stone is rolled away and Jesus isn't there. And I'll tell you, our faith is worth nothing if they find the bones of Jesus Christ. But they haven't. And they won't. And the message is that your life, you should have been buried in that tomb. That's your sin. It earned you that tomb. But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, his word says that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave, it now lives in you. That where you were not enough, Jesus was. And now you don't do your religious list to make sure that you're approved. You are approved. And now you get to serve from a place of approval where you want to make Jesus happy. So you want to look more like him. So you start to do the right things. Do you understand the difference? It's not doing the right thing for the wrong reason. It's having the right reason and being able to do the right thing. It's different. And for some of us today, we don't know what that looks like. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and today will be no different. At all of our campuses, would you just stand with me? I'd ask that you just close your eyes and bow your heads out of reverence for what's going to happen in this moment. For those of us who have met Jesus, I would ask you, just begin to try to remember that day. Try to remember that seat that you sat in. Try to remember the building. For some of us, it was the Limerick campus. For others of us, if it was Plymouth Meeting or Royersford or, or even here with me live in Phoenixville, maybe it was in the Colonial Theater, you just begin to reflect and thank God that he saved you when he did. That maybe you weren't far and broken and, and, and maybe you didn't look like... The, you know, the, the, the typical sinner, maybe you were religious. And if you're honest, you would have continued in that religion until the day that you died had it not been for the grace of Jesus Christ. Because Satan loves religion, but Jesus came to conquer religion. He came with a relationship. It looks different. It's harder, but it's worth it. And at all of our campuses, if you would say, this morning, I don't understand everything about Jesus. I've heard some of the story, but man, I, I never heard it like that. 
maybe you came in here today and you weren't sure what to expect but at the end of this experience you know one thing for sure and it is this you are a sinner in need of a savior I don't understand everything but man I know that I'm messed up you don't need to convince me and I believe that there is a God that he made a way to get to me that all the things I had believed growing up all the lies about what it looked like to be right with God they didn't quite make sense to me but all of a sudden as you spoke this morning everything just made sense it began to click it sounds a lot more like the Jesus that I read about when I've read my Bible and so if that's you at all of our campuses and you would say I need to follow Jesus today I am a sinner in need of a savior I'm willing to admit I am I am not perfect I do not have it all together but man I am willing to believe that there is a Jesus that is if that's you at all of our campuses I'm gonna count to three and then I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand to say I need to follow Jesus there's not something super spiritual about raising your hand but here's what it will mean for you what it will mean is that the very same Satan that loves religion he would have loved for you to continue in that religious spirit and in fact the moment that you leave here he's gonna try to fight against any progress that's been made he's gonna start saying things like this you didn't change you're the same you couldn't be made new I know the things that you've done Remember what you did last night Remember what you did two nights ago God could not save that you're just gonna make the same mistake again and you're gonna say no 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 I raised my hand and I have been made a new creation the pastor said that God he could save me no matter what I've done and so I'm gonna raise my hand this morning I'm gonna believe in faith and then I'm gonna walk out of here in confidence if that's you at all of our campuses I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you would say man I need Jesus today one two three if that's you here with me live just place your hand up and say i need to follow jesus today i am a sinner in need of a savior i see you over here at our other campuses if you're in royersford if you're in uh, limerick if you're in plymouth meeting if you would say man i need to follow jesus i am a sinner i am not perfect but i believe that there is a god who is and he is speaking to me even now I didn't understand how I would get to church. If you're watching online, man, just begin to let us know. In Plymouth Meeting, there's somebody raising their hand. We are celebrating with you here in Phoenixville and across our campuses. If you're online, just drop a comment. Let us know, man, I'm responding to the gospel. Uh, We'll have someone on there that can speak with you. In Limerick, there's two people right now that have decided to follow Jesus. There's another person in Roarsford right now. Just one more moment. Let's just allow one more moment. If there's anybody else who would say, I'm not letting this moment pass me by. I am a sinner in need of a savior. That's me. Just place your hand up. Come on, let's pray right now at all of our campuses. God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that you've moved. God, I'm thankful for the moment that you saved my soul. God, that I was as religious as could be, that I wanted to make sure I did all the right things. I cared so much about what other people thought. I was constantly anxious and stressed out all the while my sin beneath me destroying me from the inside I was clean on the outside but I was dirty on the inside and God you woke me up you woke my spirit up these dead bones came back to life God you gave me purpose and meaning and I'm thankful that this morning you've done the same thing for those people in these rooms that you are beginning to do what only you can do that they will have a firm foundation that now they're not just doing the right things because they're supposed to they're being changed by you and they want to please you they're grateful and so they want to do what you've called them to do God we're thankful that you're doing this here in our midst and God we ask that for the next 10 years you'll just keep doing it you're just going to keep doing it every single Sunday we're going to keep seeing people meet Jesus we're going to keep seeing people raise their hand we're going to keep watching people walk that out in the weeks to come through service 
serving, through getting their eyes off of themselves and focusing them on you, through being baptized, through, 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 through tithing, through being faithful. God, and in 10 years, we're going to be able to look back and we're going to be amazed at what you did. God, we're grateful that we get to be any part of it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, Journey Church. Come on, would you shout amen with me this morning? If you're grateful for what God has done, let's clap together at all of our campuses.